This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. We're going to hear the Word of God through His Word. And that is no small feat. And so there's a prayer that uh, helps us focus our attention on trying to hear God speak. It's called the Collect. And we pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. The first reading is taken from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2, and verses 1 through 16. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God, For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is Psalm 112, which we will read responsively, uh, the congregation reading the bold-faced portion. Praise the Lord. Happy are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in his commandments.
Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. It is well with those who deal generously and lend, who conduct their affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. They will be remembered forever. They are not afraid of evil tidings. Their hearts are firm, secure in the Lord. They have distributed freely. They have given to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their integrity is exalted in honor. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel portion is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Salt and light. Uh, we honor an ancient Christian tradition. Please stand as we hear the good news being taught by Jesus the Messiah. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but in a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Again, let's pray. Can we Father in heaven, we ask that uh, you would uh, be present in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, as we um, look into your word. Pray that uh, you will speak to each one. And as we consider the words of Jesus, again, we pray that we'll be encouraged, that we'll be blessed, uh, and that you will challenge each one of us uh, in the loving way that you so often do. Again, we ask this for your glory and the glory of your son, Jesus the Messiah. May he indeed be glorified in the lives of each of us. Amen. <clears throat> like to um, 
just to start off by um, saying that uh, I want to honor uh, my former mentor and teacher and friend. His name was uh, Dwight Pryor, and uh, he died nine years ago this month. And uh, he had an incredible uh, impact on me and a number of other people uh, here in Jerusalem. And uh, I think it's very appropriate that we do not forget those who taught us and blessed us and encouraged us along the way uh, in our walk of faith. This is a picture of Dwight. Some of you um, may know him. He was the president uh, of the, uh, the Center for Judeo-Christian Studies uh, 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 sorry, in Dayton, Ohio. And uh, he lived uh, in Jerusalem for a number of years as well. It says in Galatians 6.6, 6, yes, that we should honor uh, in practical ways those who teach us. And um, I'd like to honor Dwight tonight uh, for um, uh, changing my life and for, as I said, for being uh, a very close friend for many years. We um, are going to discuss things that were actually very um, close, you might say, or very um, uh, precious to Dwight. Talk about the place of the Torah. Uh, the place of God's word in the life of the believer, talk about the kingdom of heaven, and uh, to talk about discipleship. But before we talk about these things, I'd like to just give you a little bit of background, because surely context is everything. And so the context, uh, the cultural, religious context of the passage that we read uh, in Matthew uh, is a or was, I should say, an ongoing debate in uh, or amongst the Jewish people. Uh, and this debate uh, asked the question, what is the most important verse? What is the most important commandment in this book? They, there are so many. Uh, there are 613 commandments in the five books of Moses. The prophets have things to say. This, uh, you have commandments and the Psalms and the Proverbs, uh, you could get lost. You could easily drown in what we call the Hebrew, Hebrew Bible. There's so <clears throat> much material. How can you sum up this book? How can you take what's important and uh, turn it into a big principle on which everything else uh, might hang? Which, yes, everything else would... Uh, uh, would fit into this big principle. And so, as I said, there was an ongoing debate. And some teachers of the, of the scripture said, you know, it's the big 10. Those, the 10 commandments, those are the most important. And others said, no, it's not the big 10. It's what we read in the prophet Micah. Yes, to, um, to uh, walk humbly with God, to love mercy, to do justice, and others said, no, it's not. It's be holy for I am holy. Yes, it's a, an important principle that we read about in the book of uh, Leviticus. God says seven times in Leviticus to Israel, I want you to be like me. I want you to be holy. Uh, and others said, no, 
it's loving God. And there was those who would say, no, it's not loving God, it's loving your neighbor. And of course, Jesus enters into this debate, does he not? Because he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? And the greatest commandment, he says, is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, that we should love God. And the second great commandment that's connected to it is that we should love our, <coughs> we should love our neighbor. Now, if that's the, the most important commandment, is that the, 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 the you might call it the mega mitzvah, uh, the, the big central point of the entire Bible? Yes. Then what would be the least commandment? What would be the commandment that would be perhaps the most unimportant? Yes. And they also had a, uh, an answer for this. And the answer for this was probably a commandment that some of you don't, uh, most of us don't take very seriously. But in Deuteronomy 22, it says, if you come across a bird's nest beside the road, either in a tree or on the ground, and the mother is sitting on the, um, sorry, and the mother is sitting on the young or on the eggs, do not take the mother with the young. You may take the young, but be sure to let the mother go. Yes, so this was considered to be perhaps the least of all the commandments. Kind of a hard commandment to figure out why is this there in the scripture? What is this all about? Uh, it's not so evident or not so, so apparent. So this is the debate uh, that is going on. And then further the debate is, well, what is the value of keeping all these laws? Why should we keep all these rules? I mean, what is, what's, what's going on here? God has given us a lot of laws. Uh, why should we do these things? Yes, and here, um, I think the question is not only ancient, but surely is it, it's contemporary as well. Because I think sometimes we can have an image, a false image of God, that he's some kind of an old man with a beard. Generally, we think of him as, as a white, an old white guy because that's the way he's portrayed sometimes in Western art. And there he is with a beard and he's up there and he's always angry and he has some kind of a frown on his face and his main number one job, yes, so we think, and I'm t I, want you to, to, I want to emphasize this is a false image, so we think that his main occupation is to keep us from having fun. Yes, he is, you know, a cranky old man. He's miserable, so we should be miserable too. Now, I'm trying, I hope you don't think I'm sacrilegious, but in actual fact, many people have, these, this, kind of, uh, have this kind of notion, even, uh, even believers. So why did God give all these commandments which seem to maybe restrict us or to hold us back? Yes, or to somehow they don't allow us to be ourselves or to be who we're supposed to be, if you want to use uh, the language of the postmodern age. And the answer, their answer to this question, a biblical answer to this question, uh, is as follows. Numbers chapter 15 says, if you do these commandments, if you do the commandments, you, God speaking to Israel, will be holy to the Lord. Now, what is the benefit of holiness? 
I mean, some people think the benefit of holiness is that you can walk around, be sanctimonious, and tell other people what they're doing wrong. And that, unfortunately, is sometimes what happens. But the benefit of holiness is very simple, simple, that it gives us access to God. If we want intimacy, if we want real relationship, yes, if we want to be connected, yes, holiness is the vehicle. Holiness is the pathway that, that gets us there. It's summed up very beautifully in the book of Hebrews. Without holiness, no one will see God. Yes? I know this is not a very popular topic in our day and age, but it is at the same time, there is, a, there is an attraction. There is a power to holiness. Holiness brings life. It brings blessing. It brings a connection to God. Not necessarily the holiness is sometimes uh, exhibited or, or sometimes displayed by uh, some Christians who sometimes get this wrong. But still, holiness is essential. And what's the second benefit? There are many benefits. The second benefit, as we mentioned this morning, is that God gave the commandments, whether they're in the New Testament or the Old Testament, for our good, for our blessing. Because otherwise, what would human life or human society look like if, there were, if we existed in a place of lawlessness? Yes? Just take the commandment, thou shalt not kill. 3,000 years older, or three, old, more than, perhaps more than 3,000 years, Jewish teaching, Christian teaching. The teaching is you shall not, one should not murder. Now what happens, for example, when that commandment is overthrown? And I'm especially thinking of um, the Nazis or Stalin, yes, where there is no more commandment. In the case of the Nazis, in the case of communism, uh, they both thought themselves to be God. And if you think of yourself as being God, you can make the rules. You don't have to listen to other people's rules. You make your own rules. So they erase the rule, thou shall not kill. And they go on a killing spree. And millions and millions of people paid with their lives. First with uh, Stalin and the way he starved the Ukrainians and then shot hundreds of thousands of other people. And then with Hitler, not only in the way he treated the Jews, but in the way that uh, he treated uh, other so-called subhumans uh, throughout Europe. And we, we have 50, 60 million people who die because let's erase the rules. Yes? So the rules, whether it's don't murder, don't lie, don't steal, treat the land that you live in uh, in a very, um, you might say, ecologically or environmentally good way. Yes? Don't over-farm. Uh, don't try to take too much out of the land. The way that we treat the poor, the way that we treat uh, those who are elderly, yes? 
the way that we approach God. All of these things are designed for our blessing. Sometimes, but somehow we think that just because there are these rules that somehow they're restricting our freedom. But they're not restricting our freedom. They're for our own good. And by the way, it is what God says to Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. And, and in, it's in Deuteronomy, I think, chapter 10. And if you're going to go to Aaron's Bible study on Deuteronomy, you should probably get there in April of 2022. Um, that's when you'll probably get... But here the passage says, and I'd like to read it to you, is not the only place in Deuteronomy which uh, says the following, but it's, it's one. It says, um, and now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. <clears throat> for your own good. So you have these commandments. Yes, you have these uh, that are given for the good, our good. Because, my dear friends, what does God want for us? God wants to bless us. He wants us to flourish and to do well as human beings. We forget that this is one of the main points, the main focus of the scripture. Because we're used to thinking, oh, this book is about sin and redemption. Well, it is about sin and redemption, but it's also about something bigger. And that something bigger is that God wants to enter into relationship with us and he wants to bless us. That's what we learn in Jerusalem. He, he enters into relationship with us generally through covenant, yes, he starts really with Adam and Eve and goes to Noah and goes to Abraham. And if we're believers in Jesus, we're in covenant relationship with, with God through Jesus, the Messiah. And the purpose of that relationship is to bring us blessing. It's for our own good. It's for, our, it's for human flourishing. That's not secular humanism. That's uh, divine humanism religious humanism. This is God's intention, yes, for the human family. And we need to, uh, to remember that. What does Peter say in Acts chapter 10? What does, people, what does Peter say about Jesus? How does Peter sum up the ministry of Jesus? It's very instructive that Jesus goes around doing good and healing all of those who are oppressed by the devil. Yes? That's the purpose of the ministry of Jesus, not just to save us from our sin, which he does, and which is very important. I don't want to deny uh, that reality, but also save us from our sin. Yes, so he enters into relationship with us, not so, only so that we go to heaven, and so that we uh, will be blessed. Not necessarily blessed with the American dream, or with three pink Cadillacs, you know, in a large Swiss bank account, but that we will know uh, the blessings of God, which we will come to uh, in just a moment. So that's the context of all of this. And so along comes Jesus, and he's in going to enter this discussion and enter this debate. This 
short passage that we'll read, it will tell us something about Jesus and will also tell us what it means to be his disciple. So let's look at, let's look at um, Matthew, the passage <coughs> that John read for us. And so here <coughs> we have the so-called Sermon on the Mount, which concerns itself largely with uh, the kingdom of heaven and what the kingdom of heaven means. And very often, Jesus will use that, this understanding of the kingdom of heaven, or he'll use this term to talk about uh, his followers. What it, uh, talk about the movement of people who have made him the king. Yes, this is um, um, the kingdom of heaven movement. Yes, you may recall that uh, the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom? They're asking, who is the greatest in your movement? And Jesus says, amongst my followers, I want you to bring me a child. This is the person who's great. Or they'll say, Jesus will say, you know, if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not going to put focus or attention on the job that you're supposed to be doing. You're not fit to be in the kingdom. What does that mean? You're not going to heaven. You don't have eternal life. Jesus is saying, if you want to be in my movement, you've got to kind of give it 100%. Or in Matthew 5, 3, where it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Yes, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit, literally in Greek, comprise. They make up, okay, the movement of those who have made Jesus king. You want to be in the Jesus movement? You first and foremost have to confess, hey, I'm bankrupt. I'm in the overdraft. Anime minus. I'm 500,000 shekels in the overdraft. The bank manager's on the phone, yes? The police are on the way. They're going to seize my dog, yes? I'm bankrupt. I have no assets. This is what, this is what it means, okay? Sometimes... This is what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven. Are we in the movement or not? And by the way, you can be in the church, but you can't but you're not always in the movement. Yes, you can come and sit in this building and participate and sing all the songs and come to communion, but you're not in this movement. You're not uh, amongst the people who are enthroning Jesus as king. Yes, week after week, day after day, week after week, month after month. So this is the context of this discussion. Now, one more thing about the context. Jesus, you know, we're so used to reading the gospel through Paul. But Jesus doesn't uh, dislike or he's not allergic to good works. I mean, sometimes as Protestants, it drives me crazy because we're so... uh, uh, you, you might say hyper, or we're so worried that somehow <clears throat> we're being legalistic or we're trying to work our way to heaven. Can I remind you that in the passage, Jesus says, do good works so that others can see them and glorify, okay, your Father in heaven. Okay, so there's, Jesus says nothing uh, against good works, but he has something more to say. And here's what he has to say. 
as a way of introducing more teaching that will come later, especially in verse 21, where he said, you've heard it said that uh, you heard it said long ago, do not murder, okay? But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother is subject to judgment. Or you, he will say, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I will tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery, and so on and so forth. So the way of Jesus is going to introduce his teaching, he's going to say the following. He's going to say, look, okay, I want to tell you something. Do not think I have come to destroy or some come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth that heaven and earth, um, that until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the Torah until everything who is everything is accomplished. Now, here we learn something about Jesus and his attitude toward the commandments or towards God's law. Now, law is a bad word, and uh, we should use the Hebrew word Torah, which is not easily translated into English. But if you were going to translate Torah into English, you would say God's will, God's teaching, God's instruction. Yes, and uh, you may remember the psalmist who says, I love Psalm 119. I love the statues of the Lord. I love his Torah. Well, why? Because God's commandments lead us into life. They're good for us as individuals. They're good for us as a community. It brings us into holiness, which gives us more intimacy and access to God. So Jesus comes and says, look, I don't want you to think I'm doing away with this. I don't want you to think that you're all free and that uh, these, the, the law, the Torah, doesn't matter anymore. Because people were reading the New Testament and they were reading the gospel saying, aha, you see, Jesus is against all those things in the Old Testament and he's against the Jews and against the Jewish tradition. Jesus says, not at all. He says, I have not come to abolish, which we believe is a technical term. Yes, okay. I have levetel, which was to cancel. We have not come to cancel or to abolish, which means, which was used in the first century as a way of saying, I have not come to misinterpret. I want you to know I'm not misinterpreting the Bible. He said, I've come to fulfill it. And to fulfill here means I have come to give it its right and true interpretation. Yes, Jesus is saying to us, and saying to Jewish believers or Gentile believers, God's word is precious. It's important. It's not, going to fall. it's not going to pass away, but it needs to be properly interpreted. Who's going to interpret it for us? Jesus says, I am. I'm going to show you what's important. By the way, the way that we understand this uh, passage is best summed up in an analogy that I learned from another friend of mine, Randy Booth. Maybe some of you know Randy Booth. And Randy Booth says the way that Christians understand this passage is something like this. 
It's as if he said, Jesus came to Jerusalem. And in this world of crazy driving, yes, Israel, Jerusalem, where very few people seem to obey the traffic rules, yes, where it's chaos on the roads, not as bad as some countries, by the way. He, um, here, he says, Jesus spends three and a half years driving around without breaking one single traffic law. He doesn't speed. He doesn't tailgate. He doesn't change lanes in the middle of an intersection, which happens here all the time. Yes, he doesn't uh, travel to Tel Aviv at 190 kilometers an hour. Yes, especially when you get around the airport, it gets really dangerous. And so he goes to heaven, and then we think to ourselves, hey, we can get in the car and drive like hell. We can get in the car and drive any way we want to, dangerously, whatever, because, why? Because Jesus has fulfilled it for us. Is that what he's saying? No, but that's how people understand this. Oh, Jesus has fulfilled the law, I'm not under the law. Oh, you're not under the law, so can we murder? Can we commit adultery? Can we oppress the poor? Can we abuse the elderly? Can we uh, take the name of God in vain? We can't do any of those things. Yes? So Jesus wants us to know, yes, that his teaching is based on the scripture. And we might ask the question again, what do we do with the, new, what do we do with the Old Testament? And some Christians are nervous or squeamish about this. But what we do with the Old Testament is simply we cherish it, as God's word, we read it, it nourishes us, but we interpret it correctly. We interpret it through the lens of Jesus the Messiah. And then Jesus goes on to say the following. He says, and this I think shows how serious that Jesus is. He says that um, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others uh, to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, where's the kingdom of heaven? This is the movement of, this is God's people. Yes, it's not the place you go to when you die. Because the kingdom of heaven is mostly a present reality. So what is the least of the commandments? Do you remember? Daniel? Come on, man. What is the, what is the least of the commandments? Yes, about the birds. Now, can I read you this again? Because I left something out. Yes? What I left off was as follows. Yes, when you come across a bird's nest besides the road, either in a tree or on the ground, and the mother is sitting on the young or on the eggs, do not take the mother with the young. Do you remember that? Good. Okay, some of you do at least. Okay? Okay. It says, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life. The least of the commandments, the most unimportant, the one that you can't quite understand. It's, here it's, it's as important as honor, honoring your father and mother, which says honor your father and mother so, so that you may have a long life. Yes, so that it may go well with you. Not only with you personally that you will have quote unquote good luck, okay? 
but uh, maybe this is better understood in a, a non-Western society, so that your society and that your community will run well by honoring your parents, yes, by taking care of those who, who can't work anymore. You know, what kind of a society do you want where the children ignore their parents and let them starve or, you know, live out on the street because, you know, their pension has failed? Yes, so even the smallest of the commandments, yes, even the most insignificant of the commandments, you know, comes with a warning and a reward. And Jesus is saying, look, if you're going to minimize my word, if it's not going to be important, you know, you're going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on, and he goes on to do something really strange. He praises the Pharisees and the scribes. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses their righteousness, um, he says, what does he say? I should read it. It says, uh, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses, the righteous, the, uh, surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not enter into my movement. Now, why, if Jesus appreciates good works, Yes, he wants us to do good works so that others will be, uh, so that we'll be light and salt. And if Jesus is very serious about the scripture, yes, very serious, and he's saying, I'm basing all of my teaching on this. You know, why would he say such a thing? Well, it's really easy because my dear friends, we can do, we can obey God's word. We can obey the letter of the law. We can, we can refrain from killing. We can refrain from committing adultery. We can refrain from looking at pornography. Yes, yet we can be full of lust. We can refrain from murder, but at the same time, we could be full of anger and we could be in broken relationships uh, with people around us. Um, we can uh, refuse to forgive. I don't think anywhere it says quite in the scripture that you have to forgive, okay? And so Jesus wants to take us a step beyond the Torah. The Torah is good. The Torah brings life, but it's not enough, okay? What Jesus wants for each one of us so that we will indeed flourish and do well is that we don't understand the Torah and the rules and the commandments, okay? And by the way, if you think there are no commandments in the New Testament, I had a friend once who counted them. And he told me he counted 1,016 commandments in the New Testament. 1,016 things that we are told to do, okay? So we can do all of those and we can still be cranky and we can still be miserable and we can still be living in a broken relationship with each other and a broken relationship with God. And Jesus is saying, you know, the goal isn't just to do the commandments. We have to go beyond that. And what Jesus offers us or what Jesus uh, sets before us through the road of discipleship is transformation. It's totally changing the people that we are, not more, more than just doing, okay, what uh, the commandments ask us to do. And I, I love the, 
the verse, which I don't know if I love it, but I, I'm challenged by it. Uh, and the verse that says here, it says, watch out for false prophets. They're coming in sheep's clothing. Um, and then he goes on to say, Jesus says, a, uh, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by your fruit, you shall recognize them. Yes? And so what Jesus uh, is telling us is that by being his disciple, yes, and by keeping his commandments, yes, and keeping more than his commandments, by allowing God to change us and to transform us, okay, that we can actually become a tree that produces good fruit. My wife, Carol, is always quoting uh, the American um, Bible commentator, Dallas Willard. You know Dallas Willard? Anybody know him? Yes. Dallas Willard uh, always says, she says, the problem in the church is that we want people to staple good fruit on bad trees. Yes. We want people to staple good fruit, meaning, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not going to, to commit adultery. Yes. I'm not going to, you know, hit somebody else and staple all this on. Again, when our hearts, yes, uh, are still sinful. When we're actually far away from who God is. So the question is, how do we, how do we enact, how do we start to walk down? How do we start to move down this way of being transformed? Yes, of coming to a place where we're not dominated by lust or we're not dominated by anger, where we're faithful in our relationships. Yes, that's why Jesus warns against uh, divorce, where we're not uh, duplicitous. Yes, by our yes is yes and you know, our no is no. We can, that we can, in a very straight way, um, give commitments and not necessarily break these commitments. Yes. And Jesus says, this is the intention. This is the intention of God's word. Yes, is to transform us and really to, to make us holy. And I believe that the way that we do this is by um, very intentionally being a disciple of Jesus, modeling our life on his life, modeling our life on his teaching, um, and uh, we do that, as I suggested in the beginning, by, by being brutally honest with ourselves and with him. Yeah, the place that we begin is I'm bankrupt and I have no assets. I'm broken. I'm scarred. Yes, I'm in rebellion. And that's the point uh, where, we, where we begin. And uh, then we begin to put his, uh, put into practice those things which Jesus teaches us. That, the putting those things into practice, practically, yes, whether it's practicing forgiveness, being generous, yes, 
loving our enemies, being faithful in relationships, being faithful in the midst of pressure and persecution will begin, uh, will be the very things that the Lord uses to change us uh, and to uh, deepen us so that we not only do good deeds and not only do the right thing, but we become, okay, the right kind of people. We become people who really um, uh, reflect, you know, the character of Jesus. We model his, we model his character. Um, we, you might say, some people say, we imitate uh, Jesus, who is imitating God. That leads, again, to blessing, and uh, it deepens holiness, uh, which brings us uh, not only life and blessing itself, but a more intimate and a more satisfying relationship with God. Can we pray? So, Father in heaven, we um, see all these things, and we see the challenges that are before us. We pray that you'll teach each one of us or lead each one of us on a road of, of radical transformation, that your spirit will so work in our lives that our characters each day will become more and more like Jesus, that our responses and our actions, uh, the way we live, um, what we think, those things that we do uh, will indeed uh, bring glory to God um, and uh, blessing to ourselves and to others. And we ask this again for the sake of Jesus um, and for the glory of his kingdom. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.